0: Our second reading this day comes from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. It's found in the 13th chapter, and it begins at the 24th verse, where Jesus said, But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Indeed. Well, my slides ought to be coming up right about now. There we go. What you see there, let me just point this out before we start. This is a painting done by a lady named Jeanette Busboom, the mother of our brother, Buzz Busboom. Um, She did a series of paintings like this depicting uh, different things that she was inspired by the Bible to paint. This one was her Advent rendition. And so Buzz blessed me with this this past week, and so I share it with you, and I hope you get the same inspiration that I do. Well, brothers and sisters, we come to worship on the first Sunday of Advent, and we do so with great anticipation. We look forward to the build-up of the coming of Jesus' birth, of course, and we anticipate the sound of Christmas songs and the decorations which are beginning to mount up, which also tell us that the grand celebration of Christ's birth is almost at hand. But then worship starts, right? And we hear the readings for this day. So Sean stood in this place, and he read from Isaiah, and he spoke of the mountains quaking and winds which blow people away like dried, insignificant leaves. He spoke of God's great anger at those who have sinned, and God's hiding his face in a way which leaves us wallowing in our own sin. These words from Isaiah are tough stuff. They're not what we expect as we get ready for Christmas. These are words that we're much more accustomed to hearing in a time of the church that we call Lent. And Advent used to be like Lent. It used to even have the same purple color. Very penitent um, sort of time. And, and these, re- these readings are leftovers from that time a hundred years and more ago. Let me introduce you to someone. This is a picture of my mentor. This is Pastor Timothy J. Kiley. He was, I can say without contradiction and with full confidence, he was the finest Lutheran pastor, perhaps finest Protestant pastor, that I have ever come anywhere near. I say was, because God called him to his heavenly home far too soon for my preference. Someday, if I have enough backbone and God gives me the opportunity, I'll ask about that decision. But for now, I have to Accept God's God's uh, timing and all of that. But he was quite a guy. He uh, he, I was his straight man, and he was the fun guy. So here he is in his natural habitat. Um, and there's a reason that my closet has a whole collection of hats that look like this. Um, and he started me on all of that. Well. To tell you what I have to tell you now, I have, to, I have to change something. Bear with me for a moment. You see, Pastor Kylie and I had a huge tradition of him putting me through my paces on Advent, especially the first Sunday of Advent. I worked with him at his invitation as, as something of an intern in my first, second, and fourth years of seminary. My third year, I was away on my internship. So every moment in seminary I could spend away from class, I was with him. In my fourth year, I'd come back from internship. The first Sunday of Advent came along. And it was, you know, we'd get ready to graduate. It was almost Christmas time. We'd graduate in May. Things were looking ahead. He was serving a church in Hanover, Pennsylvania at that time. And I was helping out. And, and that was the church that I would eventually be ordained in. So it was a very special place and a very special time for me. But I went to church on the first Sunday of Advent. I was dressed like a vicar or an intern would. And I showed up at 7 o'clock, because it's my habit to be there early, although he was always there way before me. Don't know when he got there, never figured that out. I think he lived there. But I showed up at 7 o'clock-ish, and here he was, not looking like, like that prior picture, right? Right? he he always was in black on black and the protestant collar all the time most weekdays and certainly every sunday but here he was in his office and he's wearing a red checkered flannel shirt and he's wearing you know khaki chino sort of pants and and penny loafers and he's stuffing things in a briefcase in a hurry and all he could think to say was pastor he says I've got to go, I've got to go in a hurry, so here's the deal. You take care of everything. You lead everything in worship, and if I'm not here by the time of the sermon, go over to our music minister and uh, tell him that we're going to do a hymn sing. Okay. So one of the, I'd done a lot of things in the church at his, at his instruction, but one thing I'd never done was the announcements. Well, That was a panic. So I had to figure out how to do announcements and how to get the information and all that kind of stuff. So we started the 8 o'clock service, and I'm offered the announcements. We had confession. We sang a hymn. We did the readings. And this was a colonial-style church, right, with the straight pews, aisle down the middle, and this elevated pulpit. So I'm up in this elevated pulpit, and I'm reading the gospel lesson, praying that he shows up any moment. No, Tim. No, Tim. So I came down out of the pulpit, and I started across the chancel area to talk to our music minister. And just as I got part way across, the doors that opened onto the street at the far end of that colonial architecture burst open, and here he comes, running. Now, he's wearing one of these. So the first thing I notice is I've been set up, which is obvious, right? So he's running down, and his dress was what everybody else noticed. He's in a tattered old pair of pajamas. An ugly bathrobe, and because he was insufferably a Wisconsinite, he's wearing these slippers that look like the heads of Guernsey cows. Him. And he comes running on down, and he stands roughly where I am in, that, in their architecture, and he gives his whole sermon on be alert, be ready, don't oversleep, don't you know slumber, which he claimed to have done, but I knew otherwise. Right? Don't do what I did. Be ready for the coming of Christ. That was his theme. He thought that was pretty cute. He did stuff like that all the time. So in in that church, we had a worship service, then Sunday school hour, and then another worship service. So in the course of just changing over between things like that, he comes to me and he says, Now you know what's going on. He says, You could really play up the shtick this time. And I listened to him, and I, I said, Pastor? You realize, of course, in the second service, you have a baptism. Are you going to baptize that child in your bathrobe? And he hesitated only for a beat, just a beat. And he says, oh, yes. And so he did. And so he did, which tells you all you need to know about why I am the way I am, given that he's my mentor. His point, of course, was to learn from his mistake to not to do as he had supposedly done. And what he was doing was just hammering on Mark the Evangelist's point that we are to look out, as Mark put it. And he used other words, did Mark, as well. We are to know, we are to be aware of the time, we are to keep awake. Again and again, Pastor Kylie hit on those points. Today's gospel lesson, which if I can count the years correctly, was that day's gospel lesson as well, is what many have called Mark's Little Apocalypse. If the words sound like they might have come from Revelation, there's a reason for that. It's written in exactly the same style. So it's easy to see why it's earned its nickname, that Little Apocalypse, when the passage opens with the sun darkening and the moon no longer giving its light and the stars falling from the heavens and even heaven itself is shaken by the coming of the Son of Man. And that term, the Son of Man, is a technical term used by Mark for God's promised Messiah. And yes, this coming Son of Man will send out his angels to gather the elect. That's the only hopeful thing in the whole passage, really. But that, that too sounds an awful lot like revelation to our ears, and it should. However, apart from that gathering of the elect, the passage I read for you, is otherwise full of darkness and scary images as the Christ comes. As you probably noticed when I read it for you, today's Gospel selection is in three parts and it's as if Mark the Gospel writer sort of pasted them together. And in the third section Mark tells us his version of the parable of the doorkeeper. What his account leaves out is is the ending that we would expect. And, and that's because the ending we've heard from Luke and Matthew. Mark was probably writing before those two, but he didn't put the ending in it. Did you catch that? The ending was missing, absolutely. But uh, it would seem that the ending is the most important part. And Mark just puts it aside. We're not told that the owner of the home, the manor I'll call it, this grand home, the owner does not come back in the middle of the night to find the doorkeeper sleeping. We don't get that part. Mark doesn't address it. Had that happened, of course, had the owner come home and no one answered the door, in the ancient world, that would have been a catastrophe. It also would have been very unlikely because people in the ancient world didn't travel after dark. It wasn't safe to walk the roads. Robbers and other things dwelt at that hour. Still, we're not told that the man came to the door at all. Mark has got a different point and a different bit of art in all of that. Even so, throughout the parable, we hear the imperative in Jesus' parable. Again and again, the master says, look out, don't fall asleep, keep awake. It's sort of interesting to note where this passage falls in Mark's telling of the whole gospel record. Um, This last little collection of three sayings from Jesus is the last we hear before the cycle of his passion and death occurs. It occurs at the very end before he goes into Jerusalem. And we remember from the story of, of his passion how Peter and the other disciples fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. With this, stay awake, as the passage right before that. And we remember where Peter and another disciple make their way into the courtyard outside of the place where Jesus was put on trial. And they warm themselves by the fire as they slumbered. Stay awake, says Jesus. And much like what we also read or heard read for us by Sean this day from Isaiah, Isaiah, These messages are a far cry from our treasured vision of the baby lying in the manger, so tender and mild. Instead, Jesus gives us a a verbal hammer. Stay alert. Told as Mark relates this, this parable of Jesus, the master's departure puts a test in place. Will the servants be faithful to their absent Lord? Will they? Will they take care of the manor? Will they answer the door when the master comes home and knocks? Then if you notice, the language shifts as Mark tells, or in Jesus' voice, we hear the language shift as the passage is shown to us. We go from the slaves in general being talked about to being about the doorkeeper in particular. And it's the doorkeeper whose task it is himself to stay awake and open the door when the master returns, even if that master comes at the highly unlikely hour of the middle of the night. And then it shifts again. The parable reduces the encounter between master and slave to very stark terms. The master will return and knock, And the question is whether or not the slave will be awake to open the door. This Lord, as the teller makes plain, that's Jesus the teller, is Jesus himself. He is the Lord. And he will soon go away. And he will ascend to heaven at his resurrection, but he will come back. And he will return at a time of his second coming to gather his elect and judge the world. The whole parable is about Jesus' path through Easter, beyond, and back again. So when is that going to happen? When? Mark, if you may be interested to know, wrote his gospel, we think, in roughly the year 70. That would be roughly 40 years after Jesus um, was crucified and rose. One biblical generation, as it was known then, 40 years Mark's congregation, therefore, recognizing they were one generation away from that earth-changing event, would expect Jesus' return at any moment. It was their time. That knock on the door was about to happen. That was the point here. However, Mark didn't preach that. He didn't write that for us. The time of this return of the manor owner remains unknown in Mark's account. So Jesus calls his hearers to wakefulness, and then he interprets the parable with the observation that no one knows at what hour of the night the master will return. Jesus, as is famously known, will come like a thief in the night, and his coming, uh, and in his, excuse me, in his coming, the darkness will turn to light, and when the darkness turns to light, that will bring joy to those who are children of the day. But that's good news. That's really good news. But within that good news is an implied threat. And it came in the words, in case he comes suddenly and finds you sleeping. See the next shift? You sleeping. We're not talking about the doorkeeper anymore. We're talking about you and me. In Mark's gospel, being a believer in God, even one of the elect is not a guarantee that one of us will remain awake until the master returns. This danger of slumber at the end of times, Jesus implies, pertains not only to the four disciples to whom he speaks directly in this passage, but to everyone who hears Jesus' story through those four disciples, including Mark's own congregation, and by extension, us. This wakeful attitude means living one's life with eyes wide open. Scoffers may speak badly about those who fix their attention on preparing for the time of Christ's return. Those with eyes wide open on Jesus' coming are often called by people of the world dreamers. But Mark implies that it it is in reality these dreamers who really have their eyes peeled. The realists, on the other hand, the ones who think that the world will continue indefinitely on its accustomed course, those are the ones who are truly dreaming. This picture <clears throat> was taken the last time Pastor Kylie and I were physically together. We just had a great, big lunch." All those words emphasized. And as I show you that picture and I think back, I I think back to my first, first Sunday of Advent with that man as a brand new seminary student in my first semester. And he introduced me to something like this. In reality, it's an ice cream bucket in his day. In that day, it was a two-gallon size. They don't make them that size anymore. This is a gallon and a quarter. Eh, The best I could do in the modern uh, environment. But what it really is for a pastor is the scariest thing you can possibly imagine. And he did it twice every Sunday for his entire career. Here's how it worked. He always had a kid's message, right? And he would sit down on the stairs of of the chancel, Forgive me if I don't do that. My knees just don't allow it anymore. But he would sit down, and the kids would gather all around him, and he had a flock of them. And he had given this bucket to one of the kids a week earlier. They had taken it home with them, and then they put what I'll call a treasure inside. Some loved toy, puppet, something. Usually, often, parents helped out. Our Lauren was two years old when we first started that and she once brought the bucket to him for one of those messages and it had a picture of her sitting on the training toilet. Something about my burden is light was the theme of the day, I knew that. But he would, without knowing what was in the bucket, he would open it as the child gave gave it to him, reveal whatever was inside and then he would offer the message to the kids based on that thing or things and the messages, the lessons of the day and do it on the spot in front of God and everybody. Each service, twice, every Sunday, two different buckets, right? So on my first Sunday of Advent, my first first Sunday of Advent with him, we're walking into the sanctuary and as you might predict, he stops just shy of coming in to begin the service and he looks over his shoulder and says, today you've got the bucket. Mm, I've seen this thing done maybe eight or ten times at that point, and I'm, I'm petrified because I didn't think that would come until at least year two, maybe year four. You know. So it was set up in a very traditional for, uh, format, that the sanctuary was. So I had a chair way over on that side behind what was then called the lectern, and he had a chair way over on this side behind the pulpit, and we faced each other. So as the early part of the service was going on, the first hymn, things like that. He's staring at me, and his face is purple. He's just trying to keep from laughing out loud, but it's obvious. what He he knows I'm panicking. I'm absolutely lost. And then the Bible readings begin, and in those days we had four of them, and we were in the psalm reading, and and it hit me. It just hit me. It's the first Sunday of Advent. It doesn't matter what's in the bucket. Whatever comes is a surprise. It's like a thief in the night. Who knows? we can celebrate whatever it is as being like Jesus coming as a surprise. It just came as a surprise to me. So that's the message I sort of gave to the kids. And after that was done, I went back up and I sat in my chair on this side of the, of the sanctuary or the chancel and he was over there again. And uh, we had a choir anthem going on. And so he's looking at me and he's staring at me and he mouthed the words that I'll speak for you. He said to me, you cheated. (laughs) And I did, sort of. (sighs) Scripture gives us a glimpse of what the second coming of our Lord will look like. The Bible, through Jesus' own words, also tells us almost nothing but just a scant little bit about the when of Jesus' coming when Christ will be seen coming with in or on the clouds, depending on how your translation reads. But whenever that is, we know it will be a total surprise. But there is that one last question we haven't addressed. What do we do? What do you do until Jesus appears once again to claim those who are his elect? What is it we should do? Well, I think the answer is found in the ice cream bucket story. As Pastor Kylie taught me and so many others, we should make every effort to attend to those who Jesus described as the least of these. That would include children who have not yet heard the gospel, or other young ones who have questions about what they've heard so far. The least includes, certainly, those who go to the rock at noonday to find a meal when their bellies are aching. Those same brothers and sisters may find themselves spiritually empty and in need of a kind word, a shoulder to lean on, or someone to discuss the coming of Jesus into their lives in the here and now. The same can certainly be said for those who are sick or infirm. Maybe taking time with kids, or the disadvantaged, or the sick, is as scary for you as that decorated ice cream bucket was for me. If so, cheat. Cheat as Pastor Kylie accused me of doing. Act like one of the children of the light. Get past your fear of whatever shape your bucket has taken on by sharing Christ's eternal truth with someone who needs to hear of it. Tell them that Jesus Christ is indeed coming. Tell them the truth. Tell them that you don't exactly know what that day will look like and that you don't know when he will arrive. But when he comes again, All that causes pain and injustice in this world will be wiped away and that those who struggle or suffer now will be raised up in his glory when he comes. In other words, share hope. With that truth on your lips, you can spread a vision like Jeanette Busboom painted in this picture. She shows us a vision of a bright city on a hill And that will come to replace all that has thus far brought darkness into this world. Thanks be to God. Amen.